0: Hello, and welcome to the Solus Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit soluschurch.com. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15, Paul prays this amazing prayer for the church. Here's what he says. Paul writes, uh, Ephesians 1, verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... Toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his, that's Jesus' feet, and gave him Jesus to be head over all things, to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God for the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. This is the word of God for the people of God, to which we say to you, God, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, thank you truly for your word. Uh, We don't say that at a religious routine, but we, we proclaim that corporately to remind ourselves of how much of a gift your word truly is. We would be lost without it. We would be stumbling around without it. Thank you, God. And it all connects to who you are. You're a God who speaks. You're a God who communicates. And so we come to you, understanding you that way this morning, thanking you for what you've said, but also still inviting you to speak. That's the only reason why we're here, is is you. So may we not waste this time. We believe you want to speak. We believe you are speaking. Would you give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying? And I do pray, Holy Spirit, speak. Teach us, remind us of who we are, of what your church is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, I want to begin this morning with uh, sort of a word association game. It's a simple question, and it's this. What comes to your mind when you hear Or see the word church. Church. You don't have to shout it out. But just it comes to mind. What comes to mind? Think about that. What comes to mind when you hear the word church? Um, Just a confession here. For as long as I can remember, I have been going to church. Like as I sort of even look back into the memory bank. The shallow memory bank of my childhood. I see two things. I see, hold on, Ninja Turtles. And church, okay? Uh, that, that's, that's all I knew growing up. I, I, I experienced a, an incredible environment of, of Jesus-loving parents who, who came to Christ through the church and raised me in the church. Um, but it wasn't until the past, I would say specifically three years, as Jesus would call me to plant a church, that I really had some feet under my fire, uh, or some fire under my feet, And feed under my fire, whatever that means to you. (laughs) Think about it. Um, I was really called, I felt, and and I had this, this push to dive deep into what the church really was. I mean, if I was going to start a church, if that's what Jesus was calling me to do, I better know what I was getting myself into. And I better know what Jesus wanted. And here's what I came to realize. I came to realize that I had a lot of ideas about church, that were different than Jesus. You ever, you ever come face to face with some of your caught assumptions about Jesus that contradict what Jesus actually says? And you're like, what do I do with this? And have you noticed this? Um, I've realized this. So much of discipleship, especially as an adult raised in the church, is not just learning, but it's unlearning. In order to learn Jesus, we've gotta unlearn some things. And, and certainly when it comes to the church, Uh, you know, this little word uh, picture game here. I'm I'm sure if we gathered all the answers, we'd have such a wide variety of ideas about church. A wide variety. And it really depends on your background and your upbringing. Let's look at a couple. For, For some people, when they hear the word church, they think of, we'll call it the church. And when I say the church... I don't mean the called out ones of God sent on a mission for the glory of God to advance the kingdom of God. I mean like a religious establishment. For some people, the church to them provokes maybe a negative feeling. They hear church and they are are reminded of a time that they were hurt by the church. Burned by the church. So there's this one reaction to church that's sort of like them. Uh, I would say in a lot of ways, being the church in the the moment we're in right now and the culture we're in right now, we face an uphill battle. Thank, thankful to God that it's not our strength that gets us up the hill. It's Jesus' spirit and his power. But we're certainly positioned right now in a cultural moment where it's difficult to be the church. Because of all the ideas about the church. And how the church treats people. And how the church pickets funerals. And how the church is against this group. And the religious establishment. That's one idea about the church. This religious establishment that's sort of anti-everything cultural, or maybe the more common cultural one is when you think of church, you don't think of the church, you think of a church. A church, right? I mean, something, you know, maybe more traditional, like a little quaint little church with a little God-loving, God-fearing old pastor there on the prairie, okay? Or maybe something more architectural, like the Jomo uh, the, the in Siena. This is one of the most beautiful architectural churches I've ever seen. I actually saw this in person. This is in Siena, Italy. Uh, Brittany and I went there on our late honeymoon. And it was like two years after we got married. We still went, though. Still honeymoon. Um, And we got to visit this beautiful church. This is what a lot of people think of. They think of a church. And then when you invite them to your church, they're like... (laughs) Be praying for your church. Be praying. Maybe one day you'll be a church, you know. And then I would say for most of us in this room, well, we think of church, church, let me give you a picture, you know, church, church, I'm at church, it's church, today we're at church and you think of an ambiance, you think of an environment, lights, lasers, smoke, notes, personality, feeling, environment, a service, right? Most of us, if we're honest, this is what we think of when we think of church. But back to our fundamental question, what is church? <laughs> what is church? I think this is a pretty important question for us as Christians to not only ask, but continue to ask. Uh, this is, is what we saw uh, plague history, the history of the church. Uh, so this is, by the way, how things go wrong in the church, is when the church stops questioning, is this church? and we stop comparing who we are according to what God says we're called to be, that's where things go off, and you need reformers to come along and go, uh-uh, that's not the gospel, uh-uh, that's not the church. Who is the church? Now, for this whole series and for our, our, our own doctrine as Christians, the, the, the source of our understanding of all things in life is not culture, it's not caught assumptions, it's not what we've been raised with, it's the word of God. It's the word of God. It's the the foundation upon which we are built. And when we go to the word of God, I think we get a a drastically different idea about the church. And again, an important question to ask. And that's where, again, we find ourselves in Ephesians. Uh, This letter is one of the many places where we can understand what Jesus promised to build, right? This is why this is so important. I mean, look at the words of Jesus we looked at. He said, I'm going to build this thing. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And then he goes on to say, and the gates of Hades will not even prevail against it. So we see Jesus has this pretty high view of whatever this church thing is. He's like, I'm going to build it. I'm going to found it. I'm going to own it. And I'm going to move through it in such a mighty way that no one will be able to stop it. An unstoppable force for the kingdom, the church. Now, Ephesians is a great place to understand uh, the church. And here's why. Because this is a letter written to the church. It's also a letter written about the church. Uh, You have more uh, mentions of the church and the nature of the church in the book of Ephesians in, in its nature and function than really any other book in the New Testament. Not only that, but this letter to a church, about a church, is written by someone, namely Paul, who gave his whole life to serve the church and whose deepest concern in life was the church. There's this incredible passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul starts to go through the resume of his sufferings. He starts to list kind of one by one all the things that he's gone through in life, okay? He he talks about being, being shipwrecked. He talks about being beaten and in prison. So you had a bad day. That's Paul's life, man. That's Paul's life. A bad day, Paul goes through all of his sufferings, all the things that would get us down and discouraged, all the things that would tend to make us focus inwardly to figure out how do I preserve myself through this. And there's this amazing passage in 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul says, Among all these things, what comes upon me daily, he says, my deepest concern, the church. Imagine being so gospel-centered that you're so other-centered. And in the midst of your suffering, all you could think about is, how, is God, how are God's people doing? Well, that was Paul. Paul had such a great big heart for the church. He wrote more letters to the church in our Bible than any other author. And if there was, let me say it this way. If there was one central message about the church that I think the apostle Paul would want us to get, I think it would be simply this. That the church, when it comes to the church, it's so much more than what we think it is. It's so much more than what you think it is. I think that's, that's Paul's general message. Often our understanding of the church our, and our ideas about the church, they're not like far off and left field wrong, but they're limited, right? And that's exactly what Paul prays. Did we see this prayer that we just read? Paul comes across this church and he says, man, you're, you're a church of great faith. You're a church of great love. But Paul says, but when I think about you, I can't help but pray for you to receive, he says, the spirit, we read it, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. I'm praying that God would give you a better perspective, a better vantage point, right? I, I find myself doing this a lot as a dad where if I get an angle from my height compared to Judah's, who's, who's my me, he's half my size, and he's up to my hip, and if I can see something he can't, well, I'll often just say, oh, Judah, you see it? And he'll go, no. And so what will I do? I'll pick him up and I'll say, Judah, Look. Look, and that's what Paul's praying God does for us, right? You ever had a good friend in life who did that for you? You could only see so far on the horizon, and they were able to lift your eyes. I'm thinking the other day of Joseph Morgan there in the back. Hey, Joe. Joe was um, texting me. He's, we may be future neighbors, and so he had this great idea. Of, Man, we should go in on a golf cart together. Wouldn't that be great? Just classic neighborhood dads. Look at us riding around in our golf carts in the hood. And so I said, well, dude, no, I, I can't. You know, if, let me look it up. I looked it up online. And I found a deal. Amazon. I'm a Prime member. I found this thing. It was um, a beautiful golf cart. I think it was like 400 bucks. Pristine shape. I sent it to Joe. I said, Joe, look at this thing, man. I, I struck gold here. I got to get it now. But I don't know how many are left. And he replies back, "That's just the back seat, Andrew. That's just the." Back seat. All right. There's a sense in which Joe lifted me up in his arms. And he gave me eyes to see what I could not. Now, this is why as Christians, we're going to talk about this in the, next coming, in the next couple of weeks, but this is why as Christians we need to be dependent upon the word of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because we can be so convinced of what we see. We can be so sure of what the church is. And Paul prays, I pray that God would boost you up. I pray that the Holy Spirit would elevate your perspective to see more. And specifically notice, he prays all these great things. That you would know so much more about the hope of your calling. That you would know so much more about the inheritance of the saints. He says that you would know so much more about the power of God. And then this all culminates in this power of God that has raised Jesus up and made him head over the church. It's like this prayer that Paul is praying for the church to see more culminates in crescendos in an understanding of the church, that we would understand the church for more of what it is. Uh, you know, I can kind of relate to Paul, I feel like, people not understanding the full extent of, of what the church is. I don't know about you, but have you ever had to try to convey to a difficult person who wasn't understanding a really unique passion of yours, and they just didn't seem to get past the surface level. Like, so for me, growing up, it was skateboarding. right? so I grew up skateboarding. That was my thing, that was my passion. But to explain skateboarding to somebody who doesn't skateboard, it's like, oh, you you do tricks. <laughs> little tricks, nice, little tricks. Your friends get together, you do tricks, right? You ride around, it's like a little scooter, you know? Little wooden wheels, okay. It's, and, and often what they'll say, or maybe you've tried to explain your career before, so what do you do? And you go, okay, and you try to say it, and they're like, oh, so, okay, okay. And, and, you're, and often the thought is, no, it's so much more than that. I think of, like, all the um, English, British shows that my wife loves, The Crown, she loves The Crown, you know, and she's trying to explain, so I'm like, oh, so it's about a, a queen. She's like, yes, Andrew, but it's more than that, okay? And I feel like that's, in a sense, what I felt, even planning our, our church the, the past couple of years, is, is you know, so what's, you know, what do you do for work? You know, well, I'm a church planner. Okay, so, like, you, like, teach a little Bible studies, you know? Like, you, like, sit around reading the Bible, you know, and it's like, yes, <laughs> you know, but it's so much more than that. And that's, I think, what Paul is saying. So many of our ideas about the church, y- yes, yes, but it's so much more than that let's see a few things here that the church is so much more of i think this is a great way for us to understand as the holy spirit elevates our perspective to see all that the church was designed and created to be the first thing i want us to simply acknowledge is that the church is more than a place this is a uh, sort of church or ecclesiology 101 an understanding that the church is more than a place now we could simply find the solution to this through the the definition of the word church, again, which is an assembly, but uh, a very practical answer, uh, solution to this is found right there in Ephesians 1. Whereas Paul is writing to the church, notice how he greets the church to the saints who are in Ephesus. Ephesians 1 1. To the saints who are in Ephesus. Typically, when Paul begins a letter, he'll say something like he did to the church at Corinth, to the church at Corinth. The church wasn't the place, the church was the people in the place. This is the idea we get of scripture. Church is more than a place. Church is a people. How many of us grew up hearing the saying, here's the church? There it is. Here's the steeple. Open up the church and see all the people. No, the scriptures would teach, here is the building. There is the steeple. Open it up and see the church. The church is not a place. The church, Paul, is, is getting us to think about this. First and foremost, this incredible thing that Jesus has founded is a People. 1 Peter 2 says, a special people. A special people. Now, look at the description of the church. It's verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, According to the good pleasure of his will, look at verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, look at this, by which he made us accepted in the beloved, the church. No idea here about a building. This is a people. This is what he calls the beloved, a special people who are the, the loved of God. That's the idea here. We see the same language in the book of Ephesians of chapter five, where Paul says to husbands, husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Do we see the idea here? These are the church. Here's the church, not the steeple, not the building, but the people themselves are the loved of God. You can understand it this way. There's two aspects I think that make up what a church is in its nature. A church is a, listen, a purchased people and a purposed people. Write that down simply. The church is a purchased people and a purposed people. Not a building, the beloved, the loved of God. How can I be a part of the beloved? How can I be in the church? How can I be a purchased people? Well, it tells us there in that same verse, it's according to his grace. Now, I said earlier that the church is a special people. But what makes the special people special people is not that they're special in and of themselves. What makes those people a special people is that there is a special grace that God has extended to those people. There's a special savior that has changed and transformed those people. So you've probably heard it said before, you know, the church, it's not this museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. Now, now Paul writes to the saints But this is not high and holy, mighty and lofty people. These are people who have been saved by the grace of God. The church, a purchased people. Now, you see that idea of being purchased in verse 7. It says, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. So, just a lot of scriptures here to, to center us on this idea. Acts 20 says it this way. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, Speaking to pastors and elders, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, look at this, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. A purchased people to the praise of his glory for a purpose. This is, by the way, what God has been doing throughout all of history. He's been gathering a people to himself to manifest and display his glory to the rest of the world. That is who the church is. Many people, in light of this reality of the church, understanding the church as a redeemed community of people, have made a distinction between what is called the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church and the invisible church. The visible church we would call as the church that we perfectly, or imperfectly see. It's the church as we imperfectly see it. It's what's visible. It's right now. This is the church. It's the church as we imperfectly see it, but the invisible church, there's a sense in which it's the church as God perfectly sees it. Here's the idea. Going to church, serving in church, attending a church, even being a formal member of the church, does not equate to being a part of Jesus' church. You can visibly be in church and not actually be redeemed. And not actually be saved. And this is so important because so much church growth strategy today is to get more people in the church. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that, that it's the Lord who adds to the church. The Lord adds to the church. If, if the calling of Soul's Church was to get a crowd, you know, they say, it's been said, you know, just start, you start a fight in a parking lot, get a crowd, boom, we got people. Hand out flyers, we got to get people. We, our mission at Solus Church is not to get people into Solus Church, it's to get people into the kingdom. Not at the expense of filling a room. Can I say for anybody in this room, our, our passion for you is not that you would come to Solus Church, it's that you would be in Jesus' church. And, and so this causes us to examine ourselves, which we should. 1 Corinthians 11, speaking about the gathering of the church, of 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about how, how many people were coming to church gatherings and they were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And Paul the Apostle says it's why a lot of people are actually sick among you. That's God's judgment, his gracious judgment. And it's in that judgment that, that, that Paul says every person needs to examine themselves to see whether or not they're in the faith. Or are you in the faith? You see, there's, an, there's the visible church and then there's the invisible church. Now, maybe right now you're going, Andrew, how is it that I could be a part of the invisible church? And can I tell you, we don't have a hoop for you to jump through. We don't have a class for you to take to join Jesus. It's actually probably harder to be a part of our church than it is Jesus' church. It is. You know how you become a part of Jesus' church? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust in Jesus for your salvation. You let him be your savior and stop trying to be your own. You look to his life, his death, and his resurrection as the means through which you are right with God. That is the expense he paid to purchase your life. And you trust in him, and you become a purchased person, a part of The true church, Uh, it was Wayne Grudem who said that the church is the community of all true believers for all time, right? Like, this is the kind of language we see in scriptures. Um, The church is not soulless church, but the the church is, is, is universal. That's why the Bible says Jesus gave himself for the church. Well, which one? You know, most likely ours, right? No! No, the church! His church, his people, his purchased and purposed people. I think this is an interesting verse in Hebrews 12 that talks about this. It talks about the general assembly and church of the firstborn. This is huge. Who are registered in heaven. Registered in heaven. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, You know, and you could have your name registered for an event at a church and not have your name registered in heaven. This is an important idea for us to think about in understanding the truth of the church. The church is the beloved, the loved of God, not the perfect, but the purchased. Those that God has brought into himself through his, his grace. And uh, there's this, by the way, um, God knows whose are his. And you know, we're called to make known that we belong to him. We shouldn't hide that. But it's not our job necessarily to say, yeah, I don't think they're in, they come. That, that's, a, that's, by the way, a dangerous game to play because you're playing God when you act like you know who's saved and who's not. Can we just talk about that for a second? The Bible says that the Lord knows whose are his. He knows, he knows. Now, we're, we're called to manifest that and make that known, and sometimes God needs to bring someone into your life that says, hey, the fruit in your life doesn't, to, I just wanna, just wanna say something. Kyle taught on a posture of faith and repentance on Thursday that, that, that looks like saving faith. And when I look at your life, I'm concerned for you. I love you, and I know you go to church. I know you were raised in the church. But have you ever ever truly trusted in Jesus for your salvation? You know, I heard it. I heard it said, and this was a great line for youth group, right? But that God doesn't have grandkids; He only has children. Well, my parents are saved. Okay, are you? And so this is, this is healthy self-examination self-exam- that happens here. Jesus, I want to be a part of your church. Now, that said, it's important, I think, to follow up that point with this, that the church is also still, though, more than a person. More than a person. So, so we think about the church as not a place, but a people, a redeemed people, first and foremost, that Jesus gave himself for. But there's a danger in that definition to jump over here to say, well, I've heard this actually before. I actually have the quote for it. I've, I've heard people say this before. I don't need to go to church. I am the church. Which, let me say this. No, you're not. <laughs> you're a Christian. <laughs> Barely, all right? Um, no, we are the church. So we've got to understand the church is more than a person. And I, by the way, I get that it's hard nowadays to be a part of a local church, especially with all the wounds that we experience in church. That's why we wanted to do our best to sort of like, um, you know, if you, insult your, if you insult yourself, no one can joke on, you know, like laugh at you and joke on you if you joke about yourself first. And so there's a sense in which we, we wanted to be very clear and say, listen, we're not postulating that we're a perfect people here at Sola's church. Unless you come along and say, see, Christians are imperfect. Because we would respond with, yeah, the church is, is full of hypocrites. Yeah, and you know, there's, there's room for one more. Come on in. And I get that there, because of that hurt, there's that resistance. But what Paul is reminding us of is, is that Jesus thinks a lot more highly of his church than we often do. Especially by the way that we can consume church and treat church or not attend church. Um, it's important to notice that the church is more than a person, okay? Uh, there, there is this community aspect to it. I think this is a helpful way to see it. Let me try to explain it this way. Um, this, in some ways, this is an imperfect solution to this kind of mystery of the church, but uh, I think this is somewhat helpful to understand the nature of how the church exists. There is first this large component of the universal church, is what we'll call it. Uh, this is the church throughout history. This is the church throughout eternity, The church universal, this is a big church. This is billions upon billions of people, okay? Um, We see a great display of this church in the book of Revelation. In Revelation, we get a picture of the church surrounding the throne, worshiping Jesus, and this church represents all times. This church represents all places, and it's also important to say this church represents all cultures. There's more to the church than American culture. But then you would have, let's say, another step down would be the global church. So this would be the church in all places, but at one time. Um, I think one of the most formative experiences of my life was living, when I lived in the Bahamas for a couple of years, uh, there was a four-month period where we visited um, a different church every week. Now, I don't suggest this as your uh, mode of church shopping. That's, that's not what it was. Uh, it was a discipleship program that we were in that exposed us so we were kind of a part of this church and we would visit though different churches every week and when i say different churches i mean different like unlike us and di- and foreign in, in every way. And a variety. When I say different, I mean different. I mean everywhere from, we're going to the, okay, this is called, at that time, it was called the Emergent Church. And it's this kind of new hip Jesus thing. And then the next week, we're at the, the Anglican Church where the pastor is singing his sermon. Come on, Andrew, step it up, right? And then the following week, we're at the Holy Ghost Fire and Deliverance Church. And we were having fun, all right? Burn, you burn more calories at that church than the Anglican church. That's all I'm gonna say. All right. Can I just tell you? For me, that was such a formative experience to get out of your church bubble. Well, you mean there's more to the church than my church? You mean, you mean there's different ways to worship Jesus, different expressions? You know that there's, there's, there's different styles and personalities and cultures. It's awesome, it's an awesome experience, and that's how Jesus sees the church. Not just limited to one expression, but multicultural, beautiful, we see that in Revelation. But that would, So we would step down from universal all, universal, all places, all times, all cultures, to one uh, time, all places. And then you have, in scripture, you also have the local church. So we'll call this one time, one place. So the different expressions of the church. You have uh, what, 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 by the way, a majority of the New Testament speaks to. Not just the church generally. I'm in the church. I'm a part of the church. It, why do I need to commit to a church? We're just, it's all the church. Well, by the way, you didn't have that leisure back in the day to church hop. You had the church at Boca Raton, Florida. It, it, was, a, it was a sense in which a unified community. Like, I get nowadays the, 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 the hyper call in a lot of, um, a lot. I love some of the countercultural uh, focuses on discipleship that is pulling for this membership or this commitment now we're not going to make you you know get the soul's tattoo before you leave we're not into that but but it is healthy it is healthy in a sense to go i'm committed to a local church and that's where we have in, in most of scripture a local church it's more than a person um, this by the way was jesus's vision we, we we go back to the reminder that jesus said i'm gonna i'm gonna build my church that's what he said now He said that in Matthew 16, but it's not until Matthew 28 that we start to see what Jesus meant by that. In Matthew 28, he tells his disciples, those that would have at that point uh, made up his church, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, enter local church. What does the local church exist to do? Well, what Jesus sends out his followers, first of all, to baptize. That, that's, by the way, that doesn't look a lot like private Christianity to me. In fact, when you see in Acts people get baptized, it was this public association with Jesus and a public association with his church. The verse following that, they, that many were baptized says that they were added to the church. It was almost this public incorporation, I'm committing to the church. But it wasn't just salvation. It wasn't okay, you've been baptized, go, go, go get him, tiger. No, Jesus said, listen, the commission is not make converts, it's make disciples. Well, how many did we get saved? How how many came forward? How many prayed the prayer? How many are still following Jesus is what Jesus would ask. We tend to measure things today a lot of times in the church based on quantity where Jesus really looks at quality. It's been said uh, the way that Jesus, when Jesus measures a church, he doesn't use a ruler, he uses a scale. What's the weight of it? What's the depth of it? Not how big, not how many programs they have. But listen, and it's not against big church or small church, but it's what Jesus envisions for his church. The, the mission is go, reach people, baptize. There's this public uh, profession of faith, and that public profession of faith enters into a life of discipleship. Like we need, to, we need to get back to understanding this, that Jesus doesn't simply call people to pray a prayer. He calls them to give up their whole lives. We see a great example of this with a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if any of us were in that position, we'd say, well, pray this prayer and repeat after me. Here's, I know how you get to heaven. Here's the road map. But Jesus discerned something in his heart. This guy wasn't genuinely concerned with the things of God. The Holy Spirit wasn't producing godly repentance. This man just wanted to check off a fire insurance thing. Like, oh, I get to go to heaven. So Jesus says, sell all you have and give it to the poor see, Jesus knew that no matter what prayer he could lead this guy to pray, at the end of the day, his heart was tied to earthly things. It would have been a simple prayer, it would have been a simple moment, but Jesus is looking to raise up disciples. And so he gets into the thing that he goes, that one thing, that has your heart, that needs to go. Because I can't have your heart if you have that thing, because that thing has your heart. So just this amazing call he gives, and it's the sad story is the man walks away sorrowfully. Walks away sorrowfully, probably knowing what he was giving up. But, but there's a, listen, there's a lot of orientation today in, in the Christian mind that just says, I pray to, pr-, no, the call of Jesus is make disciples. The call of Jesus, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Which, by the way, this is not an obligatory call. When you truly, let me just say this. When you truly get a glimpse of what the gospel is, Jesus giving up his life for you, the natural response is, I'm going to give up my life for you, Jesus. This isn't like, oh, I've got I to take up my cross. No, it's being so centered on what the gospel is that it produces not just a cross-shaped salvation, but a cross-shaped life. Whole life discipleship. That's what Jesus' vision was. So so you have these local churches, which Jesus uh, institutes and calls for, that exist to reach people and then, in a sense, be a discipleship community. A place where disciples can be taught and can learn. I think the, the key thing here, by the way, is teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. The real word there is obey, which, how do you do that? I mean, I could teach you what Jesus said. I'm doing it right now, right? But the call of a local church is to lead people into obedience for Jesus. It's a call of parenting, too. It's like I can tell my kids all I want, but, but parenting, discipline, discipleship, involves i want to create obedient followers of jesus and that's what we're after here at a church man not to be a bunch of know-it-alls but to be a bunch of sold-out people who are really following jesus and seeking obedience so that's the call that's the local church it's there's a sense in which it's organized it's more than a person now we see in the new testament that these local settings of the church these discipleship communities and i love that phrase and someone asks you know what is soulless church What, what are you I think a, like a simple response I'd like to say is, we're we a are community following Jesus. That's what we are. We have a church service. Yeah, you should check it out. All right? We, we have different events. We have different programs. But we're a community following Jesus. Now, all throughout the New Testament, you see different communities following Jesus starting to spring up. It's called multiplication. It's what happens when the church makes disciples. Because uh, as much as we don't love it... Um, It's hard, but what Jesus will want to do here in our church, and we're praying for this day, is he'll want to raise up disciples that we can actually even send out to go make more disciples. All right? Uh, uh, Our heart is to be a a church plant that plants churches. We want to be disciples who make disciples. And so that reproduction happens. You see in the book of Acts, it starts spreading. It's amazing the kind of fruit that comes about in the church when the church sets itself to do the things that Jesus wants to do. It's amazing. It's amazing. How, how fruit happens, how, how, how people get saved, people, lives get transformed when we get our eyes off of the material things, the numerics and the numbers and the strategies. We go, okay, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? It was Ian Bounce who said that the great task of every generation is to find out what is God doing and then to be a part of it. God, what are you doing and how can we be a part of it? Not, God, here's what I'm doing. I need you to be a part of this, God. God, I have this great idea for Souls Church. You're going to love it. All right? And I really think It ought to deserve your blessing. No. You see, my call is to follow Jesus individually. Along with other leaders to make sure that that we are in tune with where Jesus is leading us. And then we all follow him together. And that's the model we see in scripture with the local church. As we see that God has called male elders to lead his flaw, to lead his church. Uh, We see that in Acts 14, it says, that when they appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You have elders who are called to, to, um, the idea is we we serve the church by leading her, caring for the church, uh, following Jesus first and foremost. Uh, The best leader is first a follower. And so a follower of Jesus first and foremost and then leading the church to do the same. And one of the main responsibilities of an elder, of a pastor, is to lead the church in what I like to call discipleship rhythms. I mean, this is what we're a part of week in and week out. This is what we're seeking to do. This is what we see in the book of Acts. Uh, we we want to be a people who are constantly reminded of the gospel. Jesus gave us a great way to remember that through his, his institution of the Lord's Supper. We have those regularly, regular rhythms to remember the gospel. We study scripture to seek to obey his Word. We pray together, seeking the Lord to move in us and through us. We fellowship together. We go to the beach. It's in the Bible, I promise, all right? Um, ministry. Uh, one of my callings here at our church is, is, listen, not to hog the ministry, but empower the church for the ministry, all right? And then also evangelism. We're seeking to reach those around us. These are just discipleship rhythms of a community following Jesus. They're about these things. And a lot of you are going, I know this stuff, but just some refreshers here. So you have in the church elders who serve the church by leading her, and then you also have what the Bible describes as deacons in the church who you could say lead the church by serving her. So here's both of them. Deacons lead the church by serving her, and elders serve the church by leading her. Deacons and deaconesses, female leaders in the church as well. Uh, Now, uh, we, we see in Scripture that God calls... Uh, pastors, bishops, elders, it's kind of synonymous for the same thing in scripture, interchangeable words to describe those who lead together uh, as they're following Jesus. And then you have deacons who seek to fulfill whatever God's doing through the leadership of elders in a church. They, they exist to serve and to execute those visions. Now, um, I would just kind of give a reminder that as a church, we're in a season of, of letting God produce that. Uh, The scriptures say not to lay hands on anyone too hastily. I'd rather wait too long to lay hands on other elders and pastors than lay hands too soon. I've seen too much go wrong that way. And um, we, by the way, right now, I want to remind you that as a church, uh, we are governed right now as a church by a board of elders, Um, I am uh, what would be called sort of the ruling elder or the lead pastor of Solus Church, but there are two other gentlemen who are ordained ministers. One name is Adam Calabrese and another man is Billy Venezia. And they exist as governing elders. They make sure my marriage is good, my spiritual life is good. Uh, I don't have autonomy to do whatever I want with the church. They determine uh, with me uh, where God is leading our church. And we also have underneath that some other leaders that are also being raised up. Can I just ask you to keep praying for the leadership of our church? And right now you go, Andrew, I I only know you. There's more than me that leads this church. There's more than just me that God has called to lead us in the direction of Jesus. And if there's one prayer request I'm constantly asking for, it's the ability to know where Jesus is leading and to hear his voice and follow him. One of the blessings and curses of leading a small church is you get to hear everybody's ideas. is not in my notes um, and it's a blessing uh because um i don't believe that i'm the head of the church jesus is the head of Soul's church and so it's a blessing to have all members of the body functioning as the body right and not this unhealthy mode that just has the pastor with his you know he's moses and we're the people and he goes up on the mountain and we just kind of say what did he s-? No, jesus can speak to you by the way about what he wants to do in Souls church but there is a danger there's a danger there when we're so small because I've found, man, I, there's so many ideas. By the way, I'm not saying don't bring me ideas anymore. You're like, I was going to tell you something today, Andrew. I was going to say, that shirt is horrible. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but, you know, uh, there can there's be a danger there. And that, that's the thing I pray for is I want the ability to make sure that as leaders, not just me, but our leaders, that we would hear the voice of Jesus above all else. It's what we most desperately need as a church is leaders that follow Jesus, that follow Jesus. Do you agree with that? Good. I'm glad you do. Amen. Awesome. And then we'll wrap up with this last idea here. Um, the church is more than a program. The church is more than a program. He turned to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, Paul's is continuing to talk about the local church. And notice what he says. In Ephesians 2, this is an incredible passage. He says about Jesus in verse 14, Ephesians 2, that Jesus is our peace, and he's made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of command contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, making peace. It says in verse 18, for through Jesus we all have access by one spirit to the Father. This is talking about uh, the, the, the cultural differences that used to divide us in this case it's religious differences it's Jew and Gentile uh, but that's one category of I'm sure we can go around the room and we could talk about our political affiliations we could talk about our cultural affiliations our, our our personalities our backgrounds our church backgrounds I know that as a church we we're a nice conglomerate of every kind of church we're, we're like pentabaptist up in here you know uh bapticostal hello all right Calvary Chapel Presbyterian, welcome to Souls Church, okay? I know that we have a wide range and variety of those things that might divide us. But what Paul is saying is that, listen, the unity that Jesus has brought through the cross unites us more than anything else that divides us. So that the local church is more united around Jesus than they are ever divided around secondary things. There's this unity in the body. And it says this, it culminates in this. We have, verse 18, through him, access by one spirit to the Father. You know what we all have in common, despite our differences? We have the same dad. Isn't that awesome? How many have siblings that have different political views than you? How many have siblings that have different religious views than you? Different Christian views than you? Okay. Different personalities than you? Anybody have siblings? That, okay. Every hand goes up. Right. But the thing you have in common is, is the most important. You have the same dad. You have the same father, most likely. In this case... In this case, that's true of the church. The church. We have the same Father. And so look what he says about this. Look at the next verse. Verse 19, Ephesians two nineteen. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, look at this, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Okay? The church is more than a program. You see this? The fact that we all are now this, the, the, the children of the same father also means that we're brothers and sisters. Sons and daughters who are also brothers and sisters. So Paul has this vision of the church as not just being a service that you attend, but the church in Scripture is a family that you belong to. Think about this. You are members, no longer strangers and foreigners. I know, I know we're, we're strangers to most of each other in the room. That's why we go hang out at the beach, okay? But, another plug, but... We're now members of the same family. Can you get any closer than that? Now that, That's the kind of membership I can get in on. We're family members. That's actually one of our core values as a church is that we seek as a church to function as a family. To make sure we keep church about the church. And, and you see this all throughout scripture, the, the language of how the church should exist. You, you have these one another's in scripture when talking to the church, you have things like the church is to love one another, to serve one another, to accept one another, to strengthen one another. We're called to help one another, to encourage one another, to care for one another, to forgive one another, submit to one another, commit to one another, to be devoted to one another, to be patient with one another, to confess to one another, to spur one another on to love and good works, to be humble toward one another, to be kind to one another to carry one another's burdens does your church experience entail one another's are you a functioning member of the family of god that's what where paul would lead us. the church is more than a program and i said lastly but i forgot i had one more the church lastly is more than a pastor this is where we'll end this is kind of a diss to me but Lastly, the church is more than a pastor. So let's start here. It's more than a place. It's a people, a redeemed people. But it's more than just vaguely a person who's been saved, and now they're part of the universal body of Christ. It's more than that. It's a local community under godly qualified leadership who are led to follow Jesus according to some discipleship rhythms being made into the image of God from glory to glory. And then this language that Paul uses, but more than a program, more than just this discipleship thing I attend, a family that we're born into through the gospel, that we seek to function in, we seek to to, to spend time together, to get to know each other as a family does, to commit to one another. And then lastly, we've got to understand this way, is the church being more than a pastor. It says it in Ephesians 4, flip there, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 tells us plainly in verse 4 that there is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Uh, And then verse 7 says to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So uh, this is another, by the way, a common understanding of the church in scripture is a body. Both literally, in the theological sense, the scriptures describe the church, as we read earlier, as the body of Jesus that fills the world today. But even as a metaphor, the church is like a body in that it has many members and many parts. And each of the body parts, each of the members of the church, God has dealt through his grace a certain measure and a certain gift. And the scriptures say, in light of that, that in 1 Peter 4:10, as each one has received a gift, look at this: minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This is what we see in the Bible. Um, I wonder how many of us actually think of church this way. When we think of church and we think of ministry today, often we think about who has the microphone. We say, "Hey, what church do you go to?" And then the next question is, "Who's the pastor? How does he preach? Is he funny? Is he deep? Is he coming up with stuff that no one's ever said before? Because that's my qualification. Okay. We we tend to think of the pastor, and we assume that he's the head of Jesus is the head, and there's body parts. See, when Jesus sees the church, he sees more than a pastor. Jesus hasn't only gifted the pastor; Jesus gifts his people. You've been gifted by Jesus according to his grace to serve a function in his body that I can never function in. The Lord knows. A lot of you know too. You're like, we know your gifts and we know your strengths and your weaknesses, right? That's what I meant to say. And we know your weaknesses. And now, now look what he goes on to say. In, in, downwards in verse 11 he says, and he gave, look at this, this is huge. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, look at this, some pastors and teachers, not all. He said, I'll give some pastors couple of those okay some pastors verse 12 for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry i mean that is foreign to how we think about church how we think about church is the pastor does the ministry and we just brother we're just so thankful for your ministry and just it's the ministry andrewlundyministries.org i'm just going to check it out and and that's what we tend to think of we think of a church we think of the pastor we see his face and that's how it can be all about the pastor Jesus' call for pastors is not to be chief shepherds, but to be under shepherds, under his authority, who don't exist to hog the ministry. But my calling as a pastor, teacher of God's word, hopefully you understand this, is when you come to church, it's not to consume Andrew's ministry, but it's to be equipped for your own ministry. We come to church to be equipped, to, to experience the necessary equipment to go on the field and execute the game. The idea here is there's no spectators in the church, right? Sideline spectators. Great sermon. Great. That's what my dad asked earlier. He saw the chairs in the back over there where Zach is sitting. And he goes, is that where people sit with the scorecards and they say, if you tell a funny joke, they put them up, you know? No? <laughs> because that's not what this is for. And that's not how the church exists. So we gather as the people of God, as the body of Christ, to be equipped for whatever ministry he's called, because this is the the coolest news about being the church. Jesus said this about the church. He said, peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. You see, we are a sent people, a people that have been called to the body of Christ, saved eternally, who have been brought into a local family of God as we together with the same Father seek to follow Jesus and become more like him. But in that following, Jesus has put certain gifts in me that are not for me. See, as the church, we exist for more than ourselves. He wants to use us for people who aren't here right now. People who are in your sphere of influence. And the way that they're going to be reached is not by going to church, but by the church going to them. They're going to be reached by the way that you do your job. With such joy. And your rep, Paul talks about that. that just... He says, you know, I love for saying, he says, here's what Christians need to do. Just lead a quiet and peaceable life. What a testimony nowadays. You're just peaceable. You don't come in here all contentious. You just come in and it's just, there's this peace about the way you've been sent. God has gifted you. He's called you. He's given the, the skills you have, the job you have. It's not an accident. It's the plan of God for the kingdom of God. So how is it that you're stewarding the gifts that God has given you? How is it that you're thinking about church? Is church the pastor or is church the people equipped to fulfill the ministry? Now this all culminates in the central idea that Jesus is head over it all. That's the point. It's his church. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out Soulschurch.com.